Hey everyone, and welcome to Geek Chant, the home of RPG goodness and general tomfoolery. My name is Zach, and today I've got a unique episode for you. This is the episode that we recorded live at Gen Con 2023. This is called The Future of D&D. We've done this panel a couple times before, but we always try to get different guests, and uh, it ends up being a different animal each time we do it. This time you'll hear myself, you'll hear Troy, you'll hear John, you'll also hear Andrew Wyshynski, and our best bud Joe Rasso. Um, also, Sean Merwin was hanging out, and that was nice of him, and we had some feedback and some commentary, some questions from the audience. It was a really nice time. I appreciate everybody hanging out there um, and just hanging, being a part of the show with us. Anyhow, that's it. I hope you all enjoy the future of D&D at Gen Con 2023. Hello everyone and welcome to Geeks Camp, the home of RPG goodness and general tomfoolery. My name is Zach and I've got a whole host of uh, guests joining me today and co-hosts. Um, for those of you who are watching live or listening live um, or listening afterwards, um, I am Zach and I run a company called World of Game Design. World of Game Design uh, does a whole bunch of publishing of our own. Through 5e D&D, we do a whole bunch of other systems like Mothership and Workborg and system-neutral stuff, OSE, um, and we've been doing that for several years now. We also help other creators uh, put their product out there, get it through the design development process, release on Kickstarter, fulfilled and distributed. We've helped dozens of people in that way um, throughout the last few years. Um, and then we also do a whole bunch of organized play events and do stuff with a whole bunch of convention seminars and booths and panels and all sorts of goodness um, at places like this. That's the brief introduction for me. Um, I also, for D&D's sake, uh, I've written several different uh, modules for Adventures League um, for Vault Man Games and also served on some of the Adventures League committees uh, throughout the last couple of years. Um, that's going to be my credentials and why I should not be on this panel. Troy, do you want to start over there and talk about your, uh, your credentials? My credentials. Uh, Big beef. Zach asked me. That's my credentials. <laughs> that's going to nickname. Sorry, go ahead, Troy. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I, I am the, the master of nicknames, apparently. Yes. Uh, I have been involved in, in gaming since long before some of you have been around, probably. Um, part of the, uh, the Adventures League for, since, the, since its beginning. I've, I've done some writing with Zach, uh, one of the co-hosts of Geeks Can't. I also work at Wogdy, um, and uh, apparently I'm also the mayor of Portland. Yeah, <laughs> always have been, always will be. Perfect. Joe, who are you? Uh, my name's Joe Rosso. Uh, I'm the lead producer of Ghostfire Games. I've been there for a year and a half now. Uh, in that role, I oversee uh, the production and design of uh, most of our uh, RPG and non-RPG stuff. Um, we just last month finished a pretty good Kickstarter called the, the Ethereal Expanse Campaign Guide. So after I finish this, actually, I have to go home and do a whole whack of uh, project planning. Uh, prior to joining Ghostfire, I worked for a little bit with uh, World of Game Design. I have some design credits with uh, Gooey Cube and uh, Goodman Games, and there's another company that's escaping my mark, Onyx Path. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's why I should not be here. And the big thing for Gen that's in the catalog is that you worked alongside Ed Greenwood, and his favorite book, according to the catalog, is the one you worked with. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 
Yeah. And my, my lovely last big production on the, the DMs Guild was the uh, uh, Rashman uh, campaign guide. That was really fun. Yeah. In the region of Forgotten Realms. So, yeah, I got to work with that a little bit on that one. John? John Christian. Uh, I actually currently work with Baldwin Games as their story lead for Dragonlance uh, Adventures through Adventurers League. Been doing that for about almost a year now. Uh, we produced uh, eight uh, different adventures, and uh, we've got about four or five more that are coming up this year, with some more slated for next year. So all that the organized play element of D and D is probably where I've got the most experience. I came up uh, as a forever DM that got into convention and organized play DMing. I uh, met uh, Yahoo One and Yahoo Two over here, Troy and uh, and Zach and. One of the, po- the uh, hosts of the podcast with uh, Geeks Can't also. And, uh, every Sunday and Tuesday is really just an excuse for us to hang out and BS and, and have a good time with some folks that are out there joining it in with us. I've done writing for World of Game Design, uh, like I said, with uh, Adventurers League uh, as a game designer for mechanics, lore, you name it. Uh, I think one of the reasons why I shouldn't be here is because my game design tends to be more novellas than uh, than game design. <laughs> I have to go in and just hack the crap out of whatever it is that I've written because I, I typically try to write uh, a, a magnum opus with my uh, with my games and got to go and do some cleanup, but. Uh, I um, again, with, I think with dra- with uh, with D and D, what I'll end up probably bringing is uh, a lot more. Oh God, yes. Uh, hang on, I can say it at least ten more times in this in this speech, man. Give, give me a minute. Uh, Dragonlance, Dragonlance, Dragonlance. So yeah, where uh, the D and D element of it's going to be more, mostly aligned to organized play and, and having at least some very soft inside uh, information from some, from some of the WASI resources that I've got. Andrew, hi. I'm Andrew Bishkensky. I um, am a freelance writer, designer. I have worked with actually four, three out of the five members of this panel. I've worked for Joe and Ghostfire Gaming. I worked for Zach and World of Game Design, and I worked for <coughs> what's your name again? Oh my God. John. <laughs> Listen, Laura, I don't need that. I'm former, so former slow. Co-DM for John and, former, former, former Co-DM. Yes, for John and uh, Dragonlance, I've done, uh, like I said, free, uh, freelance work for Ghost Fire Gaming, some freelance work for Wizards of the Coast, and uh, a whole bunch of other smaller things. Well, and uh, the, the Super DM Challenge winner, can we go ahead yes, and that Yes, and the main too? reason I should not be here is probably quite good for me is that if um, any of you caught a couple of years, Wizards held a um, big contest, which was called the Dungeon Master Challenge, and I came out on top of that. Yeah. So, uh, we're, st- we're still asking for a recount on yeah. that. Yeah. I, think, I think what that means is uh, Andrew has won every single DM contest that Wizards yeah. had. For 5th edition, yeah. yes. Yeah. Every yeah. single yeah. one they've yeah. ever he's, held. He's really the DM of the millennium. Dominated. <laughs> I'm like the ALE stuff. Okay. Sorry, yeah. Sorry, this is a geek convention. <laughs> baseball shows. All right. So, yeah. So, we call this panel the future of D&D because we're people who are passionate about D&D. We've worked in it for a long time. We're people like you that, um, probably, that uh, have enjoyed the last several years of Dungeons & Dragons and 5th edition especially. We put this panel together, believe it or not, 
Um, we ran it a couple of different conventions, and we put it together before the whole OGL nonsense mm-hmm. went down. And we're like, oh, it'll be fun. We'll talk about, you know, what is what is the 50th anniversary of D&D look like? What does 6th edition look like? Because there was rumors of, you know, a new iteration or whatnot. We'll just kind of get to chat about, like, cool, exciting things. And then January hit, and we're like, actually, that panel is going to completely change in tone yeah. uh, to some extent. And then it was one fall-on face after another fall-on face, you know, <laughs> yeah. where more dramas ensued. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, we can talk about a lot of things when we talk about the future of D&D. We can talk about what's coming as far as one D&D or whatever they want to call it. Um, we can talk about the future of D&D as far as the third-party group third-party creators and what that looks like in the space to be a to be a ghost fire gaming um in in this chaos um and we can just talk about as a fan what does it mean uh to see all these new people all these new faces flooding into the community from all sorts of places like streaming um and like the the the, the movie and all that and all of that is bringing in new people who don't have a clue what D is or should be necessarily and they're bringing in their own ideas which is awesome so the future of D&D can, can shift from a lot of different angles. Um, Troy, do you want to start us with like kind of pointing in a direction and, and rolling down that road? Sure. Uh, I think, uh, for me, I, I think that the future of D&D is the fact that you now have to realize that it's not just D&D. Fifth edition has, has now taken on a life of its own. And D&D and Wizards of the Coast have essentially become the largest third-party creator of content out there, <laughs> because they can, they now cannot touch the five E rules. They're out there. They're in Creative Commons. It's it's there forever until some super lawyer comes along. Um, but they have put themselves in a position of being no longer the 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 masters of the dungeon, so to speak. It's it's out there. You've got Ghostfire Gaming, you've got Level Up 5e, you've got, uh, what else is uh, the, the Tales of the Valiant, the, the Well Press, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, the yeah. Cubicle 7 version of 5e coming out. And I think what they didn't realize when they, when they started this whole OGL debacle is they didn't create just one Paizo. <laughs> they had created an army of Paizos because they, they'd forgotten one important thing. No matter what they want to do with their new, the new uh, iteration, not edition, apparently, um, you know they are. You keep hearing this backwards compatible, backwards compatible. Will it be? Mm, yeah, with some work, but everything that Ghostfire does, I could run with Level Up Five E. I could run with Tales of the Valiant. I could run with the Cubicle Seven stuff. Why? Because it's all Five E. There's very little to tweak. So they're making their behemoth. Will that unseat them as the king? No. Because D&D will always be king. And they own D&D. But they don't own 5e. Yeah, they'll always be... Like, the 5e, the 5e side of things is going to be very interesting, right? Because it still has a fan base. It's still growing every year. There's still, there's still momentum there. That said... That said, that momentum is going to shift a little bit. Because um, you're going to have all these great contributors to all these great publishers coming in and doing that. And you have a ton of people playing 5th edition, and Wizards of the Coast themselves is going to continue to support in certain ways, especially their adventures um, that they've already put out. So, that, so there's a lot of things to indicate that 
they're still going to be a driving force there. They're not leaving it behind like they might have left behind 4th edition. And if you were one of the very, very like handful of people that were fans of 4th and you felt left behind, um, that's not what this is going to feel like, I don't think. I think, though, that what you are going to notice is um, that the rule set is dramatically different. If you look at the play test documents that have come out, obviously there's some good stuff and some bad stuff in there. But when we say backwards compatible... Um, or compatible, um, it's only in the sense of the adventures. And they were very clear on that on the like, last play test, that your classes are not going to be compatible with new classes. Uh, the monsters are probably not going to be compatible with new monsters, even though we're a year into this play test at this point and have yet to see those things with monsters. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, okay, so you can run Curse of Strahd still and it'll by and large work, they feel very confident that they can deliver that. Um, but they have been very, very clear that your favorite subclass from a Cobalt Press book is not going to work yeah. with the new classes. It just, it, 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 it. I'd argue that you look at, I've, I've, I have converted, converted Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, third edition, a couple of older editions to a 5e. I've, I've run those sessions. The conversion really is just, like plug in about the same monsters and then on the fly come up with the same thing that I would do at my table on, on the regular in a home game where this feels like an acrobatics check. It's not where I'm, I'm rewriting the ent entire thing. There's enough nuance in what I already know about 5e to where I can inter it's interpretable. I, I wouldn't say that it's even necessarily compatible. So whenever there are goblins, all I need to determine there are if are there enough goblins in this encounter for it to provide a challenge for what was originally put in Advanced Dungeons and Dragons? If there's a, a if there's a black dragon that's in it, do I need a which version of the black dragon do I need to use in order to provide a, ch a challenge for characters at this level in Fifth Edition now? So I think that it's the, it, the adventure narrative is really the only thing to me at least that's going to end up being compatible about it between between the two. There, there are going to be certain things that they're going to point you towards where this is an athletics check or. This is a perception or things like that that are going to be universal, but I don't know that mechanically at least. All the math don't. is changing. Exactly. All yeah. the math is changing, underlying, and, and for good reason, right? And this is one of the things that I'm excited about because you, we all have said for years, right? From day one of 5th edition, we knew that the, that the challenge rating system that they put out in the Monster Manual was broken, and it didn't yeah. work at all. And how you build monsters and assign a CR, the math wasn't didn't make sense. And so they're saying, oh, well, we'll fix that. Well, part of fixing that means that a CR4 monster in everything 5e is not going to be the same as a CR4 monster. There's going to be the, the what they've indicated, and again, we haven't seen a monster yet for the new one. What they've indicated is that there will be a significant power bump to a lot of things. So, um, and, and in turn, there will also be a significant power bump for player characters, which we've already seen, which to me, that was always kind of a misnomer. <laughs> The way they, it's like, oh yeah, your characters are going to be much more powerful. Well, yes, compared to what we've already played with, right. but you're also making the monsters more powerful. Yeah. So, where's it's all power creep? Is that just stat inflation? Yes, <laughs> it's, it's, numbers it's, across the board just yeah. go up like the dollar. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, it's like, it's, well, think about it. It is inflation because uh, you look at the. Uh, I think a, a really good example of what they were trying, they were thinking about doing with some of the fifth of the new iteration design was in Dragon Mass, where where they said. We're going to make the backgrounds like feats, or they're going to give you a free feat as a part of the background. And then, as a result of that, now we have to, sh everything shifts upward. And so now we have to give you a, a free feat at first level, an extra feat at first level, and then one at fifth, uh, for a fourth level also. So there's power creep in there too, where they're just bolting in existing 
uh, traits and abilities and things like that in order to scale. I don't know. Andrew has a different oh, opinion on this subject. So. Well, none of those feats are any good. <laughs> I'm not disappointed with that. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually don't, um, don't entirely agree that it, these characters are going to be more powerful because they're shutting down a lot of the sort of powerful stuff that existed for good reason because I think a lot of us who played a lot and who've sort of been at tables with you know, power gamers and optimized builds and stuff like mm-hmm. we saw what can happen and the fact that, you know, it can't happen now, the fact that things like sharpshooter and uh, great weapon are gonna be toned toned well down. They're just gonna be different things that people break is what yeah. there's they're, gonna they're, be they're, different they're, things, but they're like and it, I, I think that like that's just like the nature of the beast where you cannot you can't design around every single iteration of how a player will invariably combine certain elements of the game and then make it absolutely silly at the table too. Though. That's true. I, th- I think one of their goals, and I'm, you know, I, I have no inside information on this, but just looking at the playtest, I think one of their goals has been smoothing out the spikes, if you will, yeah, because yeah. like even some of the initial stuff that has been dropped now, because they've largely scaled back most of the sort of big changes that they wanted to do. But like some of the initial stuff is, well, you can't crit, and if you crit, it's only like one die, and if you, and spells can't crit, and then all these and things were like, and, and the, can't crit. yeah, and all these abilities, you can only like sneak attack be once per turn, sneak attack can't happen off turn, and all these other abilities and smite can only be once per turn, and like it's all being about like balance, smoothing it out so that you have a more even, I guess, damage distribution. I don't know, I haven't done that on it. One of the things that I really like that Jeremy Crawford said in the past couple weeks, which I think is a great thing that they can carry forward and that I hope is really the truth of the intent behind the new edition is, um, he said, you know, the truth is we've been play testing for 10 years and we've been collecting feedback for 10 years. And everything that we're doing now uh, uh, with the official play test is really a culmination of kind of testing waters of all the play test feedback that we've been getting for 5e. They have design intent based off all of those, uh, off the whole lifespan of the edition. And Andrew, you're exactly right. Like that's what that's what he very much was indicating and and speaking to was we see the spikes and we want and we see the valleys and this is our opportunity to fix as much of that as possible. Um, and that's, I think, the exciting part that the design team at Watsi seems to be moving with, right? You can get some sense from some folks that there are elements of this shift that D&D is doing that the design team at Watsi is not excited about at all. Yes. Yeah. But what they are excited about is making sure that the spikes and valleys, the imbalanced pieces that they've seen over the last 10 years, they have a... An, uh, an opportunity to rectify and to adjust. And I think that those are the things that I'm most excited about and that I've been the most happy with in the play test. It's not when they're doing something wildly different, but when they're saying, here's something that we know is broken, and because we're printing a whole new player's handbook, we're going to fix that. And that's a great thing for the game. And now it's, and now it's my turn to disagree. <laughs> uh, that, to me, that whole statement from property, all that is is spit. Well, of course, the last 10 years are playtest. That's what first edition was. That's what second edition was. <laughs> They're all, you're, you're, you're building from the edition that came before. And to me, what's going on right now, with, with, with we see the playtest of 
to, to Andrew's point of smoothing out the peaks and valleys, is they're trying to turn fifth edition almost back into fourth edition, where all the characters are the same. You've just changed the name of the powers. You know, all all characters can put out twenty points of damage in a round at, at, at tier one. They can all put out fifty points of damage at tier two. Why? Um, one of the things that we've seen in these videos that Zach has talked about. Oh, the druid is the least played class out there. We need to change that. No, you don't, because you have to have a class that's least played. Not everyone. <laughs> not like oh, sorry. Uh, all the players in the world have already taken up the quota of fighters right now. You have to pick a different class. It doesn't matter. It's, it's coming to a point now where we've got, you know, again, companies like Ghostfire that are producing options for the, for the game master to use in their individual campaigns because it's what they want to do. Now you've got the people sitting in the ivory tower saying, you're playing it wrong. <laughs> but there is no wrong way to play. Exactly. Right. <laughs> but according to the ones in the ivory tower, yeah. yes, we are. But yeah, this is, because I, here's the new way to do it. I, it? I, I think I'm maybe less cynical about the, the <laughs> change. Um, I dare you say I, I know. At the, at, at the end of the day, it, it's it, people are playing this game at home. Yes. And what is this going to mean to those folks who have their... 5e books, and there's a new version of books there. I bet whatever, but we're not ripping out the mechanics of how you do a D&D game. No. You're, you're manipulating the, the sliders of how strong or weak the characters are, but at my table, I have players, some might be uh, power gamers and uber-optimize their, their PC, and then there'll be someone like me that actually under-optimizes just to, because the character concept's fun. So... Yeah, you're, there, there's going to be power differences with, with the new thing, but I, I really, I'm having trouble thinking that it's going to make a, a massive difference. What it, what it will do is um, something that maybe you thought was hard in one edition won't, I shouldn't say edition, new uh, uh, flavor from, one, from, one uh, from the, the 2014 flavor to the, the 2024 flavor, it maybe won't be as strong or... Uh, Weak as it was before, but you'll still be able to play through it. I think the big thing that confusing. will shift though, what was that? D and D is confusing. Yes, D and D is probably the one true thing that's been. That's said. Yeah, the truest thing since <laughs> I'm on. And honestly, we say this about with Troy too. With the whole you're playing it wrong. I mean, that Gary did that back in the day. You know, so it's not like we haven't been dealing with the you play it, you play it wrong, or you. They get so. That's one of the, I think one of the the cardinal sins of, of Wizards of the Coast in the last several years in particular, in particular is they've become more and more cloistered. They've cut themselves off from the fan base and they've dependent they're dependent upon data, which is important from D and D Beyond and the surveys and things like that. But only certain people are going to end up writing it on surveys or the, the the most boisterous, the loudest. Whereas your your median, the, the folks that are just at home trying to play or they get to play at a convention every once in a while, the, the ones in the median, are they really don't have a voice because they have a level of engagement that is important to Wizards of the Coast. It's important to us for the community, but it's not they're not engaged so much that they're going to spend 30 minutes really delving into a survey or, or something like that's that a, to make sure that their voices are heard. That's a very good point because, quite honestly, the design, the, the, the game they're designing is not for anybody studying in this room. Yes. Yeah. It's for the people who are going to walk into a big box store and go, oh, there's that game on Stranger Things. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to play it. Why? Because those people 
far outnumber all the D and D fans yeah. that are at this convention right now. And that's kind yeah, of what I mean. We got a thought here. Yeah. Yeah. I was just gonna ask. Do you see like I I feel like you can track Dungeons and Dragons um, in terms of its legacy with something similar to like WordPress, where like the structure of it in its early days was essentially formative and required to be able to engage with building a website, right? And now people are like, oh yeah, I should build a website. I should build a WordPress website. Then they go to WordPress and they're like, this, what? This is crazy. And then they build a Squarespace website. Does it seem like, like... It's that clean exification, but with an alternate that people are talking about. Kind kind of, but also I think the other piece of this that's coming probably next year that's going to really shift with what you just brought up is this huge virtual tabletop experience that they're going to be unloading. You know, Watsi has their own virtual tabletop that looks fantastic. And for a lot of us that love playing at home or playing with pen and paper, we say, hey, we're not, we don't really care. Or, you know, that's a cool, shiny thing, but it doesn't feel like D&D for us, right? Um, but that is going to be the driving. That's going to be a huge card. And if they execute it well, there's going to be a huge shift towards that. Because we were excited for that for fourth edition. Yes. We were excited about that for third edition. The idea <laughs> of an online gaming space is completely optimized for 5e. That streamlines a lot of the confusing parts of D&D. Well, there's, a to CD, where it's, there's a CD-ROM that came with third edition that a lot of people forget mm-hmm. about. Okay. It was like, everything's going to be digital someday. And I think that's a really important thing to remember is like the digitization of the game is an important element of it. And where... Instead of it being, it's it's all about referenceability at this point, and how and how quickly you can quick click the links to get from point A to point B, and by doing that, you can expand the amount of information that you have out there and have different avenues of entry for the for new like you, it doesn't have to be a PDF based or a physical uh, physical copy anymore. There's essentially it's DLC from now on. You know, you're gonna have you'll have a hard cover, but I think there there gonna be some design elements that they're they're moving towards, and I think that really to your point about VTTs in particular. That, that I think that there are considerable design choices that they made based on the fact that they're going to go digital. Yeah, yeah, that's 100% yeah. true. Well, one thing to, to, I think people don't really understand is the relative size of the industry. Mm-hmm. So we know Watsi is, is the dominant force mm-hmm. in, in the RPG landscape. But when you look at uh, the, the D&D brand or the, the, even the largest scope of all the uh, D&D like games out there. It's minuscule when you compare it to video game sales. Yeah. So it, I completely understand why Watsi would want to leverage into a fully augmented uh, tabletop because maybe you could steal a little bit of that gigantic video game market. Um, at the end of the day, they're, they're a business that wants to increase their revenues and Make their shareholders happy. So well, how can we? How can we uh, spread our tentacles uh, farther? You've seen that, right? You've seen them dip their toe into mobile games. They've dipped their toes into. They've they've gone deeper into PC gaming and things like that. And so there's a like the the World of Warcraftification of Dungeons and Dragons. That's when you talk about the balance and making sure that it's 100 percent balanced across the board and the four kind of that four E vibe. That is definitely a that's a digital. I think that's a digital design choice where 
this fireball needs to do the same amount of damage that these five strikes do with the uh, fighter over here because that's all about, that's digital balance across the board where you usually have the big swings in one direction or another in analog at, at the table traditionally. Here's a couple questions. Uh, yep. Do you think D&D, if it's not already, will become a VR game? I do. I think that's what they want. Yeah. I, think it'll, I think it will, but I don't think it'll be like... And I think... More like a better version. Exactly. Instead, I think it's better <laughs> if you play like actually like with the with the pen and paper everything. I don't really. It's going to be completely. It's going to be a completely different game yeah. because when you say D and D is confusing. Oh, well, we're going to pr produce this VR tabletop, and now you will never understand what it was that was confusing because it's doing it for you. Where's the math behind it? And we've seen this. So you're saying where there's not enough math in D and D? Well, well, there is enough math. math. But, but if but if people don't understand the math or, or don't understand the concept of this rule in in this new tabletop that they're going to have, it will be a button that you push and it does it for you. It doesn't have to explain the why or the how. It just I push button and fireball go boom. Well, in, in that instance, you don't really know what it, what it is that you're doing to cu to customize your character right. as a result of it. Yeah. The, the, no, go ahead. The confusing part is like a fun confusing. Just like to to fix the to yeah. figure out the puzzle exactly, and I think they're missing that point. They want to make it easy access for everybody. No, that's part of the fun. Reading those Gygaxian books in the in the seventies and eighties was fun. I want to touch on a point that I found really fascinating at the Open, um, and I think that this is probably the bigger story. You know, mechanics and what Wizards has done from iteration to iteration, and whether they keep the additions or it's just a revision or whatever in the future, that's all noise. I think the bigger thing was mentioned, and I'm, I'm not sure which of you brought this up, um, it might have been Troy, is the concept of what's going on in the universe of 5e publishers versus what Wizards is doing, and it seems to me that there's a freeway, right? And everyone's going left, or I should say everyone's going right and Watsi's going left, right? And so what I'm really fascinated is, is the federation of gamers going to essentially veer off to the right and let Watsi basically just self-destruct, and then suddenly, you know, Wizards sells off the D&D IP back to the third-party publishers, and they're like, all right, that's our stage exit, exit left, and we're out of here. I think so. I think, go ahead, Andrew. Sorry, Andrew. Yeah. So, just to put well, something in, in a little bit of perspective to kind of frame the, the rest of the, the answer to this. So, recently we had the launch of Tales of the Valiant by Cobalt Press, which is like, hey, here's our version of 5th edition. And... Uh, the sort of the, the response in terms of social media and everything, everybody's rallying behind them. There's tons of support. They ran a million dollar Kickstarter. They had 10,000 backers. D&D per Wizards. Wizards say that they have about 40 to 50 million players. So those 10,000 people who supported Tales of the Valiant, which sounds amazing. And like I saw like full rooms because they were right next to World of Game Design. They were like killing it in there. But that 10,000 people who backed it, that is 0 0.001 of a percent. 
There's a tricky. Yeah, I'm glad I. I'm glad you answered because I was going to say that was bad math, by the way. Just you know, you know, but you know what I mean, right? Like ten thousand versus out of fifty million, the, which wizards? Have. What was the stat? You, one of you guys, help me out. There was a stat that just came out that talked about the Paizo in comparison to four E numbers. What do you guys recall that? I, I know what you're talking about, but, but they, they just as a quick what just so that we put out that. It was, I think the statement that was made was that Paizo has yet to come anywhere close to even the number of players for fourth edition. Yeah. Um, and they're the biggest person behind um, uh, Watsi. I think the math that Roll20 was putting out before before they stopped putting out the math <laughs> yeah. was that like 80% of all players on their platform were using D&D and the next largest on their platform, which is a very dedicated platform for certain types of game. It's not indicative of the industry as a whole. It's only about online players doing very specific types of online games. But I think the next highest one was Paizo with 5%. Um, and then everybody else was like 3% or less. Yeah, parts thereof. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this is part of the problem though, that you, you run into when you're comparing like um, a, a multiverse of competitors to a single competitor is you you look at Paizo versus Dungeons and Dragons and obviously the difference is super super wide but if you go down to the the hall the vast majority of that space is taken up by third party developers most a lot of them are doing 5e stuff but if you're thinking about like whose voice is actually more populous in terms of who is engaging with content. D&D is like kind of background noise compared to Cobalt Press and all of these other things that are like massive expansions to kind of the, the WordPress thing that's running in the yeah. background, right? I, 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 I'm guessing that's going to change next year. I'm, I, I'm pretty sure there's rather large plans in place. Yes. For, yeah, I'll tell you. Yeah, I can, I can confirm that. When this comes out uh, next year at, at Gen Con, it's, it's going to be D&D. Don't treat this as an official announcement, but you will see a very much Gen Con becoming a D&D Dungeons & Dragons con next yeah. year. Yeah. And you'll see, you'll see, you'll you'll see several cons that do that where they've... Uh, the Wizards of the Coast staff has essentially been given marching orders that they need that the thing that we've lamented and that we've complained about for so long of like them being cloistered inside of the ivory tower, that 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 the ripple effect from the OGL debacle is that they're going to have more of a face and they're going to have more of a presence. So it's not they just going to own a, the market again. They need to own the field again because yeah. they, essentially they want to own the news cycle again. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, sorry, just a very quick point to. Um, you know, who is represented here and in terms of third party. That's true, but the reason for that could also be is that that's who needs to invest in that because wizards, uh, they're very much, they control the market and they're very much invested in other types of advertising and the brick and mortar side of it and the Amazon side of it sort of delivering the product, they're able to get their product to people without needing to be here. Mm-hmm. So that could be well, very much. Yeah, I think there's a lot there's choice. a level of laziness that has happened <laughs> at Wizards of the Coast in that in that in that element, right? That they've been able to just rest on their laurels for the last several years because all of the publicity that they've been getting has been taken care of by Big Bang Theory and Stranger Things 
critical role. Everybody else is selling Wizards of the Coast products. All they have to do is sit there and put it up on the shelf, and people will say, oh, it's got D&D on it. That's the thing that I want. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm less cynical. Here uh, we go. You're so yeah, optimistic. I, I love you so much. I'm so glad you're here. I know. You don't see the large marketing events, but um, Wizards of the Coast has has a, a group of folks dedicated to marketing, so they're doing the stuff they do. You don't necessarily see, sure, yeah. Um, and and the, all the uh, lovely challenges I will say that the, the company has faced is partly because they are a large company that maybe internally they don't always talk nicely oh, to each other. <laughs> I don't. I don't think anybody's going through. My book that's on sale here to Lone you know screen. with a fine tooth comb to find whether any of the images have funny feet or whatever. Yeah. Well, like Andrew's point of the ten thousand compared to the fifty million is exactly what I mentioned earlier. They're not making the, ne- the next iteration for those ten thousand people. Yeah, they're making it for the vast majority of people that don't understand. They don't know there's a Gen Con. They don't know that. Uh, there was an OGL debacle. They've never even heard of the OGL. They don't even know what that means. Um, all those people don't even know there's a ghost fire. They don't know that there's a Call of Cthulhu. They don't know that there's any of these other things out there yet. And those are the people that they market to. And that's, on the, on the opposite side of things, that's probably why we don't see that marketing that they do. Because we're in it. We come to the cons. We, we watch the, the Facebook groups. And, and read the, the the blog sites and things like that, and listen to these really really bad podcasts hosted by a bunch sure. of knuckleheads. To 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 that to that point, as a very simple example, I would bet that any of the third party folks here, if you gave them the choice, saying, "Hey, you can't do another any con this year, but you know what you can have? You can have two spots in Walmart." They would absolutely take the this one more Walmart. So um, my thing is, and I've run a, like an online group before, and unfortunately it fell through the cracks. But I feel like with this one D and D thing that's going on, uh, they can bring, bring reach out to like a bunch of people and bring them together in ways that like in the top camp, for example, um, like people that live in different states or different countries even, and their friends online they play games together. But they never had a chance to play D and D online, mm-hmm. even though they want to. So, do you think that might be one thing that that wizards or even third party people can kind of play on is reaching out to people and bring them together from like the internet? Basically. Yeah, accessibility is huge, yeah. and online is huge. We saw pre-pandemic polls went out that said, "How many of you guys, how many of you folks, have ever played a game online, an RPG online?" The answer was less than twenty percent. Mm-hmm. Um, post-pandemic, that number is above 80% according to polls, right? Like, there's a huge brand new market, which is the online tabletop gamer, and we're still figuring out as a community what is different between a pen and paper, in-person tabletop experience and an online experience, because I promise you there's a different set of tools that you as a player and as a GM are going to find incredibly valuable for online games as compared to the tools that you find valuable for in-person games. And we, I think we're, we're, we're just a couple of years into really as a community deciding what we feel like that's going to look like. Um, I think the other thing that kind of thinking about what Andrew said there is um, 
And, and, and also, uh, you, sir, that brought up your original point. Like, one of the things that's really great about D&D and that I, uh, I'm always enthusiastic about anything that they do is they are the funnel that brings everybody yes. into every other game. Not just Cobalt Press and Tales from the Valiant and Ghostfire and everybody else, but also Call of Cthulhu and anyone on the... Like, if you go into the hall right now, and, and we've worked booths the whole time, we've ran over 400 different events. Most of those events have been non-D&D this weekend. Um, when we talk to players and we say, what's your experience with RPGs? It is almost like nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, it is, I got, came in with D&D, and then I found something else, if they found something else. Yep. Or, and then I came to, I'm coming to Gen Con, and I want to play other things and try other things. But everybody's coming to this hobby. The vast majority are coming to this hobby through Wizards of the Coast, Dungeons & Dragons, at least in theory. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that the I think the lack of cynicism that you're going to get from me, Joe, is that no. I, <laughs> well, I'm trying yeah, here, man. Yeah, let John, me, I'm trying to watch it. You're stepping on the mic. Too. Uh, that's right. Like, let me let me degrump here. Uh, I think that to Zach's point, that D and D is still incredibly important. It's not just yeah. important to me as a player and as someone that's played it for for decades and decades, and I want to be able to pass it on to my kids and the kind of experiences that I had and things like that. I I need D and D to be successful as a writer because the explosion of availability to write and to design is a direct result of how successful 5th edition has been. I mean, people have been writing for you know decades, as long as D and D's been around, they've been writing games, but the to Zach's point, the it's not has not been in the public consciousness before the way that it is now. And even though D and D is effectively Kleenex, right? Yeah. It's synonymous with RPG or tabletop RPG. It is the gateway. It's the gateway. It, it is, is the avenue here. by which they by which they try out other games. They play D and D for a little bit. Well, that was neat. And then whenever they go buy a, a, a product on the shelf or social media invariably is going to sell them a bunch of stuff. Stuff They start seeing other things that are not uh, D&D, like uh, oh, it was Obajima right now, the, the 5e thing on Kickstarter right now. They say, that's Miyazaki, that's a Studio Ghibli D&D. And then it becomes this thing that where they're able to skip between one setting or one uh, one system to the next, and then it spreads out from there, and these uh, the roots uh, fan out over the rest of the community. It kind of goes back to, I don't know if anybody's familiar with the article that came out a while back about, oh, there's a lack of DMs in the community, in the D&D community. Well, yeah, because everybody comes in as a player. Yeah. And then they say, yes, but if you look over here at uh, these other systems, 80 to 90 percent of the people that play those systems are also identifying themselves as game masters as well. It's like that's because the game masters are the one, the DMs from DD are the ones who branch out first. And then when those DMs say, Hey, I got this new game, do you guys want to play it? The players say, Is it DD? No, it's called Cthulhu. No. <laughs> yeah. So the people that the, that DM then has to go out and find to play that new game. Our other DM. Yeah, there's a crazy, there's a crazy story to your Kleenex analogy into this that I love. I adored this conversation. I took my I had a, a six year old son uh, at the time, six or seven, and he went to a birthday party. I took him to this birthday party, and um, uh, one of the moms that was there was like, "Oh, you you write for Dungeons and Dragons? That's really cool. We play Dungeons and Dragons." I was like, oh, that's awesome. Like, talk to me more about that. This is not a conversation I expected to have. And she's like, yeah, it's really fun. Um, uh, you know, they all play as kids and yada, yada. I'm like, wow, well, what, what, what are you running? Like, tell me, like, show me your stuff. Like, like, what's, what's, what's cool about it? And she pulls out kids on bikes. 
which is a small indie RPG, right? That has nothing to do with Wizards of the Coast or Dungeons and Dragons. She's like, yeah, this is what we play. Isn't it neat? And I'm like, fascinating. Because that's a real world example of like the Kleenex thing where like what had happened was she went online, right? And she had Googled or, or went onto Amazon and was like, D&D for kids, right? Looking for something for her and ended up with kids on bikes and was having a great experience. The crazy thing is if you, if I hadn't dug a little deeper, I would have walked away assuming that Dungeons and Dragons was being played in that house. Yeah. And it was not. Um, but that was just wild. And I, like to me, that's the thing that I appreciate about what we are getting right now with the future of D and D is that there are D and D sandals at Walmart. There's D and D socks at Target. Like D and D as a brand is becoming something that's so acceptable. And the exciting thing that I find about that piece is the more that D and D is acceptable and widespread, the more that places like Target mm-hmm. are going to say, "Oh, well, we'll carry three or four D and D books. We'll give a couple spots on the shelf for somebody else." Um, cause, you know, like, Zweihander is in Target right now. That's crazy. That's crazy talk, right? That would not have happened any other point in history. Um, and that's because D&D is becoming this, this, this wider thing than just a specific rule set or a specific game at the moment. So, I don't know exactly how to phrase this question. It kind of covers a bunch of different areas of some of the updates that we've talked about. So, Trying to think about kind of the evolution of D&D from first edition through fourth and fifth and whatever's to come next, right? And how much investment all the players that have been doing this 30 plus years, like myself, have put into all the books and the manuals and the supplements and the third party material and all this other stuff and what the purpose was behind each release because as that a Ben Rick session yesterday, he's a great yeah, author. If yeah, you have not yes. seen Slay the Dragon, you've got to go. Best book in the world. Yeah. And then he <laughs> had another one <laughs> yesterday about the OGL, and he went on the top where he had a slide where it showed the sliding revenue from each release and how many copies were sold. And of course, first edition was like leaps and bounds, better than anything up until fifth, and apparently fifth is the most popular selling of yes, all time, is. right? Yeah. Here's my kind of my question, and I just really want to get the feedback from the panel here. So if fifth was the most popular selling of all time since basically the 1980s or late 70s when first edition came out, and there's things broken, of course there's things broken with every release, right? Arguably, I, I never even played fourth and I heard it was a horror show, so I would, you know, whatever. Um, we'll talk. Like, I, I went to go play 13th Age, play test that with a buddy who wanted to go there, and he told me about the reason why he didn't do fourth edition when we played 13th Age, and the guys told us, well, it's a combination of the creators from D&D that created 3.5 and 4 and blended it together. And so my buddy's like, yeah, fourth edition was basically like online meets meets tabletop, and it's all combat-based, so like the whole concept of role-playing and like different kinds of spells kind of go out the window because it all comes focused around combat, right? Well, most of the people that got in the D&D community are not your video gamers, like I think you were bringing up earlier, like they want to play the concept of a true 360 degree experience of role playing and have all these cool spells that have nothing to do with damage and whatnot, but yet there's that Warhammer community where it's like, hey, we want to be railroaded, this is what we want to do, we want to just kill stuff and whatever, and you know, it's got to be all combat based. So I'm looking at the 13th age, first edition book, and apparently they're releasing another one coming up in a year or maybe before next uh, Gen Con, and I'm like, all the spells are combat focused, like I went through the entire list of wizard spells, and like, so they're kind of railroading people down that path, 
So my question is, if the sales, you know, with D&D were amazing back in the 70s, early 80s, and 5th edition arguably is the best thing since 30 years ago, okay, why re-overhaul everything some everyone likes, and you've got this massive community of third-party publishers, yeah, right, yeah. that are like, like, hey, we're going to go our own way kind of thing. Why not just unite the clans, right, stay on the path, stay the course, refine things, but not overhaul. And if it's a problem that we're dealing too much damage or pop characters too powerful, just add more stats, like I said, inflation of the existing monster manual. Don't overhaul the whole damn system yeah. and throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right? I think, and I think that you've pretty much nailed it in that I think what they are finding, and you can see this in the last couple of videos, and I actually, I ran into Chris Perkins who was sitting outside the hall, which is a nice thing to happen at Gen Con, because you just run into Chris Perkins sitting on a bench. Um, and he kind of reiterated that, that um, what they've been finding is that they don't need to overhaul as much. And if you've seen the latest playtest packets, a lot of the most significant changes have been vastly scaled back. For the most part, they threw some stuff out on the wall and it has not stuck. We had a, we had a, you had a comment over here? Um, I'm all for playing video games, like actually. I just don't think D&D would be a good game to be kind of on like a console because you just press a button and you don't get to do it. Yeah, or I really like you. What's that matter? Customization, I haven't even been playing for a month. Oh, what took that I was actually thinking about this earlier when you were talking about people like they're bringing it to um, emulators or, or like web platforms with 1D&D &D and all of this because they want to access the video games industry. But people don't play video games because they like computers a lot. They don't play like v VR stuff because they're just so enamored with technology. It's the, the new feeling of it, uh, which lasts not very long. And uh, it's the idea of something being, being a more efficient experience to be able to actually have more fun in it. And looking at spreadsheets in VR is pretty bad. <laughs> the, the thing that we got to keep in mind, I think, as much as I agree with all of you, right? Who did Wizards hire? Who did Hasbro hire yeah. to, be, to run this show in the last few years? And the answer is they hired Microsoft people and Xbox people. Yeah. Their goal, the objective is to take, and I think it's pretty clear because you don't hire somebody who did a great job, quote unquote. Uh, I mean, from a monetary perspective, they did a great job with things like Xbox Game Pass. You don't hire that person to come run this unless you're trying to say, we want you to do what you did over here for us. Yeah. So the plan right now is very much a, how do we take D&D and turn it into something that is that is uh, an online market that has a, a lot of digital offerings, digital purchases, because digital is infinitely cheaper than printing books, even though they will continue to print books, they've made that commitment. And um, that we can especially make subscription-based because yeah. that's enormous for them. So those are the current objectives, and I don't think that you're gonna see the underlying current is gonna be moving towards getting as much of the community on that space as possible and I don't think that that's going to change or you should expect that to change until you see a shift in people's positions up top. If you yeah. see bigger executives leaving, it probably means that they're evaluating and deciding to go in a different direction. Well, I mean, 100% to his point, why the change? 
subscriptions and microtransactions. Yep. Period. Yep. Because they're going to, yeah, you're going to have, oh, I can now buy uh, the Curse of Strahd castle for my new VR tabletop thing. Well, but I also want to be able to take it apart and make my own thing. Well, you can do that too. And then you can get this kit. But and then this kit. It's like, it's like buying like, Dwarven Forge components. That's, yeah, let's see, I was going to say that. I was yeah. going to say that. The tricky thing is, we as, we as video gamers feel like we despise, and to some extent we do, microtransactions. Mm-hmm. The trick, the tricky thing is that we as tabletop gamers love microtransactions. <laughs> Gen Con is a microtransaction Dwarf, convention. Dwarf is not a microtransaction. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we love we love minis, we love dice, we love modules, we love anything. You know, you don't have to buy anything but the player's handbook and the and a monster manual and you're good to run D D for for eternity, right? Right. But we love how many sets of dice game, do each one of us have. But none of this game, other than the initial purchase of the rule book and the initial purchase of those dice, none of the content is hidden by other transactions. It's going to be now. I can go to the trash bin and dig out all kinds of cardboard and go to, you know, Walmart and buy a bunch of cheap paint. And I've got, you know, Troy Forge. Sorry, I got I'm on, I'm going GoDaddy right now to get the website. Yeah, real quick, um, we gotta wrap it up too. Yeah, too. yeah just one last thing about the online thing is um, I have a personal friend uh, that is a forever DM for me. Um, but he doesn't he specifically despises online because you can't see people's reactions and yeah. emotions behind what they're doing with the t- as you would in like a yeah. personal tabletop setting, so that's another thing that I feel like wizards shouldn't say. Well, there's an element. There's an element that, as much as I I understand, we have to go digital. I'm not. I'm not a luddite. Right? We need to do it. There is a magic to people standing. I'm, I'm being just. See that man? Good. Easy <laughs> joke. Is uh is that there's there's something that's magical about being around the table with one another and being able to see each other that you cannot. It doesn't compare. To me, at least, to the digital, and while I think the digital is going to end up being necessary, I think I'm grateful for the fact that we have VTTs that are able to bridge people and bring them together from across the country. My friends since high school, the only way that we can play every Friday is because they don't have to drive two hours, three hours, or 45 minutes across town in order to come see me. But nothing is going to beat the analog of being able to see their faces, get their reactions, feed off of it. Tell a bunch of fart jokes or whatever it is around the table that you don't typically do um, uh, in, a, in a digital format. So, 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 real quick. Here. Uh, even though I, I'm very new to D&D, I, I think that's just my favorite part of being able to see people's reactions yeah. to everything so, that's yeah. been happening. He's my favorite. Too. They're, not, they're my favorite too. I'm yeah. telling you. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that might be. <laughs> it's, it's interesting, right? So I used to work for Microsoft and during the pandemic and everything went to like virtual work and you know everything went to Microsoft Teams or you had Zoom and yeah. don't need to talk about Zoom and stuff. It's just <laughs> like tank. But point being is that what I feel if I'm kind of connecting the tea leaves here and reading between the lines is that Wizards saw a massive opportunity probably during the pandemic that everything was going virtual because of multiple factors, but also, you know, um, as you guys mentioned, as you get older, you know, people end up in different parts of the country and you still want to play. Like, that's what I have. I'm in Arizona, but I've got, you know, people scattered around the country and trying to pull games together. Um, so when I'm, when I'm kind of seeing this, I'm like, well, all right, 
my guess is, is that the VTT is the first iteration of trying to connect the community together and then everything else that they're going to produce is probably going to be partnerships with companies like Microsoft to provide that immersive experience that it feels like you're actually there regardless of whether you physically are or not, right? The hollow deck is yeah. coming. Well, to varying <laughs> degrees of success, we'll see. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We got we got to close it up. I'll, I'll take right there. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this is a very kind of off topic, off topic thing, but I'm gonna try to start a D and D club at my school. Awesome. Awesome. Sure. Fantastic. Hey, if you do, come to booth twenty six sixty one, and we will talk. And uh, do this. Go on with um, D and D Beyond and get in contact. There's like a, a contact form. Talk to me after this. There's a way that if you have a club and you can submit for it, they'll give you a legendary pass for for D and D, not for you specifically, but for your club, yeah. so that people can create whatever characters they want to and all that good yeah. stuff. And with oh, yeah. school, but like yeah, yeah, and Wizards has a new program for supporting schools yeah. now. So, yeah. um, so hey, they're doing that. They are doing that. <laughs> they do a lot of good things. Just get to us after this. That's, 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 that's a restrictive license process. We got. We got. We, we got to get to them when they're young. Yeah. <laughs> hey, thank you guys. Uh, we're gonna say real quick, Joe. Where? What's the Ghostfire booth? If people want to come check out all your red Ghostfire stuff. Twenty-seven something. Twenty-seven sixty or something yeah. like that. Some, yeah, that sounds right. You, if you get to twenty-seven sixty, you'll see it. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're uh, booth number 2661, 2661 with World of Game Design. You can see all the stuff that... Just an aisle behind. There's an aisle behind. Yeah, yeah Troy stuff's on there. Uh, John, some of John's stuff, some of Andrew's yeah. stuff, some of my stuff. If you want to go check it out. John's been running Dragonlance and keeping an eye on Dragonlance all weekend. There's been a lot of Dragonlance stuff in the uh, Griffin Hall with uh, Adventures League. Mm -hmm. And Andrew's been running stuff with us, and yeah. it's been awesome. So thank you all for coming yeah. and hanging out. Have a great time. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, I'm going to see if we get that... Uh, yeah, if anybody else has paper tickets, Did you have a question? I think I saw you like half raise a hand and I was like, so much flying around. Oh, I was Thanks for coming. 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 Thanks